Welcome to our latest This is a Remarkable podcast. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by our guest speaker, Gillian Frame. Gillian is a highly experienced executive coach and leading leadership development expert, and she also happens to be one of our newest members of the Remarkable Board. Welcome, Gillian. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really delighted to have you as our guest, and we're curious to hear from you around today's topic, where we'll be exploring imposter syndrome and why being good is never good enough for some leaders. So, hi, Gillian. Hi there. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to today. Fantastic. No, thank you for joining us. We're we're really excited. So, um, I think it's probably fair to say that many of us, at one point or another, have questioned our own capabilities and competence and felt like a bit of an imposter ourselves. I know I certainly have as I've progressed up the career ladder. So I wonder as a starting point, if you could perhaps explain a bit more to our listeners about what the universal traits of imposter syndrome are, please. Sure, Um, and I would be in the same boat as you. I've also felt the same at various different points during my career. And the first thing I'd, I'd probably want to say is that technically imposter syndrome isn't actually a syndrome, it's a phenomenon. And the reason for the initial um, perspective of that in the research that was done was because it only appears in certain situations. So it tends to be something that's not as pervasive as a syndrome in itself. And the typical traits can show up for us as as adults, both as just being adults, the sort of the feeling of um, being the person who's winging it and doesn't really know what they're doing in any situation. Mm. In our personal lives, um, I know I speak with some of my friends who are parents who often say that they they have no idea what they're doing. They're making it up as they go along. But more often it's talked about at work. And when it's talked about at work, generally what people say when they um, mention feelings of feeling like an imposter is that they wonder when someone's going to spot that they were the hiring mistake. They were the person who's lagged their way into the job in some way. Um, Or that they they really often credit their success to just being lucky and being in the right place at the right time, regardless of the fact that they're actually very highly skilled individuals who are not there because of luck or somebody else's bad judgment. (laughs) I can certainly resonate with that. Um, And Gillian, from your own experience of working with many leaders on a one-to-one basis, um, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about how feelings of imposter syndrome can manifest for a leader. Sure. So for me, the thing that most of the people that I work with will talk about is the sort of voice in their head that makes them question the decisions that they make. And makes them question whether they're doing the right thing, whether they what they've missed, what else they could have been doing. Mm-hmm. It's also sometimes it can appear because people get so afraid of making a bad decision that they are afraid to make any decision at all. So they get sort of stuck in a limbo of not knowing what to do next or where to go next. It's the unhealthy sort of end of the scale of self doubt. So self doubt and humility can both be things that we can be we can find very useful in individuals and leaders within organisations. It's at the end where it becomes quite unhelpful and unhealthy. So it's problematic to them. Yes, often. Yeah, and you know, as we alluded to earlier on um, in this podcast, for many leaders, the big elephant in the room is you know, I'm simply not good enough, you know, and we know that that often translates into imposter syndrome. You you just mentioned self-doubt, um, self-limiting beliefs, you know, and, and as you've said, none of these are particularly helpful traits. 
But I, I'm curious to understand how, as a coach, you address feelings of not being good enough and, and how you've supported leaders to manage those, I suppose, those, those feelings more effectively. So I think that one of the first things that can be really helpful is, is to increase your awareness. And that's awareness in a number of different areas. First of all, it's awareness that the voice in your head or the, the thoughts that you're having are actually there. So noticing mm -hmm. when you hear those thoughts or when you hear those things being said inside your head. And there's also awareness of being clear about what the situation is, where it can be helpful to hear some of those voices and um, awareness of what your strengths are. And you know, often one of the um, clients I work with talks about the voice in her head as being a duck that quacks all the time. And what she really wants to do is to shut the duck up. And um, I've worked with other clients who, when I've used that story, said, how do I kill the ducks? What I would advise at that point is actually those ducks are being helpful to us. They're maybe not mm. doing it in the most helpful way, but, but they originate because of some need to keep ourselves safe at a level. And so by, by being aware of what the voices are saying and, and actually exploring and examining them can be a really helpful starting point to say, what is it that's, that this, the good could be coming from this? How is it mm -hmm. keeping me from risk or harm in some way? And then realizing that the coping mechanisms that we develop as children can sometimes be no longer helpful to us as we grow and become adults. And so what might be some more helpful ways of maintaining that safety, but in a way that's more useful and more operable as we sort of go about our work? And for me, that sort of being able to examine that, first of all, can be really, really helpful. And often what I do with clients is I ask them to, um, to pay attention to that voice or those thoughts and to actually write them down. Because yeah. the act of writing them down can make them very clear as to what it is that you're hearing or saying to yourself it can allow you to consider whether those things are true and what purpose they're serving for you and often people have, that have written them down have said that they're horrified by what they see written down and that they would yeah. never ever say that to somebody else yeah and so why is it okay for them to be that difficult and so hard on themselves and how they could be kinder to themselves and that must I guess if you have written those things down and, and they are particularly critical and you are reviewing them back to yourself and thinking gosh I would you know never say that to anybody else in a lot of respects I guess by doing that it, it must be quite liberating for some individuals to you know to take the learning from that and just realize how how hurtful they, ha they are being to themselves and give themselves a bit of self-compassion. Exactly, yeah. Um, I often sort of, if I think about some of the voices that, that um, or the thoughts that I have, I, I know that there's no way I would ever say that to another human being. It would never, never occur to me to be that mm. mean mm -hmm. or that cruel. Um, yeah. And by just actually acknowledging that, can sometimes be exceptionally helpful at sort of cutting yourself in slack. Definitely. And um, you know, whilst I've been exceptionally fortunate um, to work with an executive coach, actually in doing two separate stages of my career, I know that it's not an option that is available to everybody. Um, some you know, individuals don't see the, the value of coaching and some organisations don't see the value of investing in coaching. But I guess, you know, I, I'm interested to know what could leaders of organisations be doing to support an individual who is clearly experiencing feelings of imposter syndrome. You know, and I, I'm asking this because I think particularly, I suspect that this could be a highly sensitive situation to handle. 
Because essentially, you're admitting to your boss that you doubt your own capability and competence, which is a very tricky conversation to have. Yeah, it's, it's a very courageous conversation to start, to sort of almost... Yeah. What you what you fear often is that you're putting words into somebody else's mind. You're giving them the idea that actually then they might confirm what we thought was truth. So I think yeah. that that leaders leaders who are trying to help somebody in that situation is first of all to just um, share what you notice. So without any form of judgment, you know that might be. I noticed that you hesitated before making that decision. You know, help me understand what was happening for you at that point. So first of all, just noticing and naming what you the behavior you've seen rather than trying to label it in some way can be really helpful can also be helpful to you know share some of your own feelings for some of those um items and where that has been tricky for you Mm -hmm. and then i'd really encourage leaders to help their teams and their individuals to really get to know their inner critic and to start to to examine that because the more we can bring that out into the open the more we can find ways of being able to make those comments and suggestions as helpful as possible. So get that objective view. Often when, when we hear that in a critic, it's very catastrophic. Mm. You know, it takes yeah. you to the worst possible case scenario. And just by saying some of those things out loud and showing them with somebody can help you have that, give that objective view, which is often what a coach will do, to say, mm. really, all of the time? Is, you know, is anyone going to die as a result of this? You know, sort of being able to to actually keep the problem in proportion. Um, and then a critic voice tends to focus on problems. So again, by being able to help somebody to seek solutions rather than to think of the downsides can be very helpful. Allow people to be, to enable themselves to get to a point of calm and, and to think about possibilities. You know, what might be the positive possibilities of even if this goes wrong, what else would you be taking from that? And all of those things can really help us to practice and generate having a, a more exploring and curious mindset. So rather than thinking about, you know, this is the, this is, I'm going to make a mistake or I've made a mistake, is to make that into a learning mindset. What could I learn from that? Yeah. What else could I do that would, um, what, what, do I, what do I take from that so that I'm learning yeah. rather than performing? And in the sort of Carol Dweck research that she did around mindset, by framing mistakes, not in an arrogant way as being something that you just sort of brush on and move past, but thinking about them more as learning opportunities allows us a little bit more freedom and it lets those those duck voices quieten down a little bit. Yeah. And I know certainly from my own experience of being in, in that sort of situation and um, and actually having that courageous conversation with my then boss and, and them looking at me as if, you know, I just said something to them that was completely untrue. Um, and then unpacking, you know, because my imposter was really playing up to say, I, I don't know why you put me in this role. You know, what were you thinking? I can't do it. And, and them saying, well, I put you in this role because of A, B and C and because you're really talented. And actually having that conversation, I guess, what made me feel a lot better because I'd, I'd got it off my own chest. But it also made me feel a lot better because then he gave me a very strong business rationale for why I was in the role. And I have to say, you know, I I always remember having that conversation. It was incredibly difficult. It was very emotional as well for me. 
Um, but actually, the the confidence that I probably derived from that following the conversation was, you know, immeasurable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what those conversations can really help us do, and there are other things that can help that as well, is to be aware of what our strengths are. And um, and it's particularly British to not talk about what we're good at. We're, we tend to self-denigrate and, and talk about the things that we're not very good at. But by being able to either get that feedback from an individual, and sometimes that, that can be exceptionally helpful, and sometimes that can actually often make things worse. It's so they're just telling me what they, you know, they're being nice, they're telling me what I think they want to hear. And if the voice is really loud, yeah. then there's an almost a, oh, I'm going to prove that you're wrong for some of those things. And so by being able to use other objective measures, um, and again, it depends on the individual, but you know, sometimes psychometrics can help. These are the things that other people are saying about you and that you're saying about yourself that are the strengths and the talents that yep. you bring to the role, to the organization, can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then asking people to practice being really good at accepting positive feedback. You know, that when somebody says, that was a fantastic job, I think you did this or this or that brilliantly, it's just a practice by, first of all, just saying thank you. Not then saying, well, it could have been so much better if I'd done X or Y, but just stopping after yep. thank you. And then being curious, well, what made it so good? What was helpful about it? And that curiosity can really help to underpin and strengthen the ideas that we have in our own heads and and that we're hearing from other people around Mm. what the things are that I'm really good at. Because we're not supposed to all be good at everything. Um, And there's a huge amount of research that says if we focus on our talents and really developing those talents and strengths, we are better, we're more successful, and um, we're happier as individuals as well. And we tend to be more engaged employees. So there's a lot to be said for thinking about that strength-based approach. Definitely. Great. Thank you, Gillian. And I know that you have worked with a lot of senior leaders in a coaching relationship. And, and I completely understand that with those um, relationships, there's a high level of trust and confidentiality. However, I wonder in broad terms, are you able to share any generic insight or themes um, from your own experience as a coach as to what benefits leaders have derived from releasing, you know, or, or at very least quieting down that imposter, that person that's on their shoulder? Yeah. So what I see people doing when they practice some of the things that we've talked about is that they're really getting out of their own way. So we have a finite amount of energy. And we could spend all of yeah. that energy thinking about all of the things that could go wrong and all of those voices that you know, talk to us in our head and say, this is, you know, you're, they're going to find you out, you'll, they'll figure it out and you'll be sacked and then you'll be destitute and there'll be no house and there'll be no yeah. food and all of those things. All of that takes energy. And, and I, I know that as human beings, we can choose where we direct that energy. So the more that we can practice directing that energy towards positive sides and, and positive messages, the easier it becomes for us and it becomes a practice. And when I've worked with leaders and individuals who've had that very strong inner critic, by being able to, and it's yeah. practice, it's about building those neurological pathways that say, how dare you speak to me like that? That's not true because mm-hmm. of X. And by being able to practice that, it becomes more of a a regular habit that we can get into that quietens that voice down. Again, not to the point of mm. it being completely silent, because those voices are often there to help us question and assess risk. 
but to quieten it down so that it doesn't become the only voice that you hear. And from your experience of that, I'm sure it varies dramatically, but you know, I suppose my question is, what's the quickest um, you've ever seen someone sort of move to that practice becoming a habit? And I suppose conversely to that, you know, are there some people that that is a real, um, that takes a long time to be able to make that shift? So the people that take the longest tend to be the people who have the strongest desire for perfection. So there are, you know, there are, again, everything is on a spectrum. I have a, a younger sister who would always strive for perfection and I strive mm-hmm. for good enough and I'm, I, I find that much easier <laughs> to, to be as a plant. Yep. Um, but yep. of, often it's that perfection that, that takes people to the point of it's never good enough. It's never quite good enough. It could always be better. And then, you know, again, there's a lot of positives in that. That helps people to really break the mold and to, to cha- challenge other people's thinking. It's when it becomes mm-hmm. unhelpful behavior that we need to, to think about making some of those changes so the people who have more of the good enough is good enough and um, mindset tend to be the ones that move more quickly down that pathway mm. okay yeah and um you know and Gillian I know that you're familiar with uh, Judith Leary Joyce and and her work and one of the things that I love about her work um has been her discussion around the doubting twin yes and it was interesting you know you made reference to someone earlier that you'd worked with that uh, would call it you know the duck quacks and for me I've always used the analogy of the doubting twin so that you know that 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 other part of me um has this voice that diminishes my achievements and undercuts confidence but you, you know I can see from what you were saying there about if you've got that whole mindset of good enough is good enough I can see how that could give you an accelerated journey to quieten the inner critic um, and I probably was guilty of being one of the ones that was on the perfection spectrum. Um, so um, I, I certainly, you know, from my own personal experience, it probably took me a lot longer to feel comfortable um, with my inner critic and actually manage it much more effectively in, in terms of quietening it. So it, it's it's interesting to hear about other people's journeys as well. Yeah, and the other thing I, I just want to say about that is in the beginning, the work that was done um, focused a lot on women. And I, hear, I, I work with a lot of women who say, you know, it's a female thing. And actually, the research that has been done more recently says it is a completely gender, non-specific. Men have exactly the same feelings as women. The difference that they seem yeah. to have, um, have been uh, coming up with at the moment is that men assume that everybody feels like that. Women assume that they're the only ones. Um, so there are some gender differences. But the actual phenomenon itself of, oh, am I in the right place? Did I just lag my way here? Is actually something that mm. both men and women experience. How they handle that might be different. Yeah. Okay. And um, Gillian, finally, um, from your perspective, um, do you think it's human nature to have imposter syndrome and self-doubt? And in what context? You, you've mentioned a couple of things already, for example, about being able to assess risk and question. But in what context, if any, can this be a positive aspect of self-evolution? So I think that the positive that I would take from it is the ability to help keep you humble. So when you hear those voices, and as long as you can manage them appropriately, it's about saying, how can, how can this be useful to me? Where can I find benefit from this? And that enables us to, as leaders and as individuals to stay humble, to not be arrogant and fall into that trap of, I'm amazing and aren't I wonderful? But it's more about saying, I recognize where I add real great value. 
and and I also recognise where there are areas that actually somebody else is much better suited to that particular task or that particular role, and that's okay. And um, you know, we don't have to be, and we can never be perfect for everything. So let's figure out where we want to yeah. spend our energy and really use it for the positive, rather than going around in circles and uh, and tripping ourselves up. Yeah. Gillian, thank you so much for joining us as our guest today. I think anybody listening into this particular podcast, I'm, I'm sure it will hold resonance for most people. And I, I think as well, it, it gives comfort that you're not the only one that um, feels like this. <laughs> and, and like you said earlier, you know, it's something that we can all experience at any point in, in our career and actually kind of facing into it and having the space to examine it a bit more and learn from it, you know, can really play dividends for us as individuals. So so thank you for being our guest today. We've really enjoyed having you. Thank you very much for having me. And as I say, I think it's really about just being as curious about some of those thoughts that can be really helpful. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for tuning into our This Is Remarkable podcast today. It was great to have you with us and we hope you become a regular subscriber. And if we've piqued your curiosity and you're interested in hearing more from Remarkable, then please do follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn, where you'll be able to access a broad range of interesting and diverse content. Or you might want to check us out at www.thisisremarkable.com, where you can subscribe to our regular newsletter.